tortured, poisoned with salt, starved and eventually beaten to death. Now we'd be sickened hearing of anyone dying like this. But when it's a six-year-old boy, the devastation and rage is amplified. Born on January 4th, 2014, Arthur Labinjo Hughes died in a way that no human should, especially not a defenceless little boy who had already experienced so much sadness and trauma. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready. Hey Coffee and Crimers, I'm your host, Belle Fagan. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I'd suggest you go back and listen to that first, as although an entirely different case, it is still linked the murder of Gary Cunningham by his girlfriend, Olivia Labinjo-Halcrow, Arthur's mum. So we left off with Olivia being sentenced to 11 years for Gary's murder. Now, although that was in 2021, Arthur had actually gone to live with his biological dad, Thomas Hughes, in February 2019, which is when Olivia was arrested and remanded in custody. Now, although Olivia and Thomas had split when Arthur was one, like I'd said last week, there was no reason for Arthur not to be placed in his care. At the time of getting custody, Thomas was living in an annex at the back of his parents' property. Arthur went from a nervous little boy who would hide under the table when strangers arrived into a happy, well-rounded child growing in confidence. Life was finally good for Arthur. He was now surrounded by an extended family who adored him, and he was especially close to both his nan and his uncle. Obsessed with football, his uncle Daniel actually took footage of Arthur talking about which football team he wanted to play for when he grew up, and that can be found on our Facebook discussion group. But that stable life was yet again snatched away from him. When in August 2019, 
Thomas met mum of four, Emma Tustin, on a dating website. Although they still lived in the annex of his grandparents, Arthur's behaviour began to change, to the point that Thomas and Arthur's nan Joanne were called into school. Teachers were concerned about his behaviour. They said that Arthur would swing from being paranoid that his dad would disappear to then being paranoid that his dad would become a killer just like his mum. His teachers told Thomas and Joanne that Arthur was obsessed with death, murder and guns. But, I mean, are we surprised? After last week's case, hearing the environment that Arthur spent those first four years of his life in, with a mum who abused her partner in front of him and then killed him in that very same flat that Arthur was living in, I'm not surprised that this baby was paranoid. As a grown adult, I'd be paranoid. I honestly could just cry at the fact that this six-year-old had to have any of those thoughts. Four months later, Thomas took Arthur to CAMS, which is the Children and Adolescent Mental Health Services, but the practitioner that they saw said that other than being worried that his dad would leave, which was understandable, there was no other concerns. He looked good and she felt that his mental health was fine. But Thomas's family had noticed that he was starting to get stricter with Arthur since Emma had come on the scene. And Arthur was becoming that same little anxious boy that had arrived when his mum was arrested. Emma started to accuse Arthur of being rude to her. And again, Thomas's family noticed how he would just tell Arthur off on her say-so, even if he hadn't witnessed anything. Then lockdown hit. Now, we all remember March 20th, 2020, as the day the world closed. But for Arthur, it was the day that his death warrant was signed. By now, Thomas and Emma have been dating for seven months. So on the day that Boris Johnson announced that we were in lockdown and we now had to stay in our household bubble, Arthur and Thomas happened to be over at Emma's house. So Emma and Thomas decided that they didn't want to be apart. Lockdown probably wouldn't last that long. Little did we all know, hey? But they wanted to be together. So they moved into Emma's to form their new bubble. Although she had four children, only two of them actually lived with her. The other two were living with their dad. So they felt there was enough room for them all to form a bubble at her house. An extended family who adored him and looked after him were now not able to see him due to lockdown. And this gave Emma, and essentially Thomas, the perfect excuse to begin a barrage of systematic abuse. A month into the pandemic, Emma and Thomas had actually begun rowing. So for a few days, Thomas and Arthur actually went back to the annex on his parents' property. And as you can imagine, Arthur's grandparents were over the moon until they saw a totally different little boy. He was quieter and was speaking in more of a baby voice than he had before. He had bruises all down his back and when Joanne asked him what had happened, he said that Emma had pinned him against the wall and called him a horrible, ugly brat. When she lifted his top, she found 15 bruises, including a huge one on his shoulder. Again, that is going to be available on our Facebook group. Thomas and Emma did make up a few days later, meaning that he and Arthur would move back into her house. Joanne begged, and I mean begged, Thomas to leave Arthur with her, but he refused. He said that it couldn't have been Emma that had caused those bruises. So he left, and she made a call that no grandmother should ever have to make, 
but it does show the depth of her love for her grandson. She called social services. She'd taken pictures of the bruises and offered to send it to them, but they said no. Now, I won't lie, I was surprised at this next bit that I found out in my research. So after she made that call, a social worker made a visit to Emma and Thomas's the very next day, which considering we were in the throes of the pandemic is honestly astonishing. So they visit Emma and Thomas and Emma says that any bruises he might have would have come from Arthur and her son play fighting. The social worker accepts that explanation and her report says that Arthur was, quote, very happy and very safe and that there was no safeguarding issues in the household and that the house looked tidy, clean and generally okay. She'd noted that she'd seen a faint bruise in the middle of Arthur's back. Now, just a side note, she was actually put on the stand at trial and said that now seeing the photo, which, remember, was only taken the day before her visit, she was shocked that she hadn't realised just how serious it was. And honestly, when you see that bruise on our Facebook page, it's going to make you see the picture I shared of Star Hobson's bruise all over again. And there is just absolutely no way the next day that it was that faint, that it was barely visible. Although there was no safeguarding issues, Thomas was offered a programme that could help Arthur deal with his traumatic past, but Thomas said no. Joanne and Thomas's brother Daniel, after hearing from social services that they weren't worried about Arthur, refused to drop it. Daniel actually called the police the day after that social worker's visit, and even though he sent the photos of Arthur's bruises, he never heard back. And it was later found that the police had actually closed the call log from Daniel because social services had already investigated. Now, I like to keep this podcast PG and I try to stay as impartial as possible, but I'm just going to let you insert a lot of angry expletives and a rant about how badly police and social failed Arthur in that moment. And I also just want to give Joanne and Daniel the biggest hug because they didn't fail Arthur. While Daniel phoned police, Joanne phoned Arthur's school about the referral that she'd made to social services. Now, obviously, no kids were at school because of the pandemic, but the head of safeguarding contacted social services and was shut down saying that they'd investigated and there was no issue. So yes, we could argue that Joanne and Daniel are bitter because they adored Arthur and they wanted him living with them. So they could just have been exaggerating everything. But you know who you can't argue with? Someone reporting their concerns who has nothing to gain. And that someone was Emma's dad. He made a referral because he felt Arthur was in danger. And Arthur is nobody to him. He's no relation whatsoever. So if he's worried that his daughter is causing abuse, then surely someone needs to listen. Because he is going against his own daughter, trying to save a little boy. And still, nothing is done. In May 2020, things only escalated. Now, for reasons I will never understand, but I am so glad that they did, Emma and Thomas installed CCTV cameras in their living room. The cameras catching the barbaric treatment of Arthur, including being made to stand for hours as punishment. Emma would then send Thomas videos and clips of Arthur crying. 
They both would repeatedly insult him, referring to him as a devil child or Satan. In the clips, you can hear Arthur crying for his grandmother and uncle, saying, nobody loves me. So what did Emma do? Well, she decided that Arthur was no longer allowed to sleep in a bedroom. Instead, he was forced to sleep on the living room floor. Over a three-day period, Arthur was isolated away from the rest of the family for 25 hours in a hallway while Emma's kids could be seen on camera enjoying food and just generally having fun like kids do. At one point, Emma and Thomas are sitting on the couch eating ice cream on a super hot day while Arthur is stood in that hallway in a fleece onesie. If he dared try sitting down to rest, despite being battered and bruised from repeated beatings, Emma would yell at him to stand back up and face the wall. On June 8th, 2020, Arthur's school reopened, but Arthur never went back. Instead, Thomas just kept making excuses that he wasn't well, which, to be fair, at that point in the pandemic, no one is going to be questioning too much about a child not going back to school when COVID was still so rife. He was being deprived of food and water, but even more shockingly, he was being slowly poisoned by Emma with salt. Arthur was heard in one clip begging in tears, I want you to feed me, no one is going to feed me. So what happened? His most treasured possessions, including a favourite blanket, a teddy bear and his Birmingham City football shirts, were torn up and destroyed in front of him by Thomas as a form of punishment. The day before his death, on June 15th, Emma took Arthur with her to an appointment to her hairdressers, a woman called Catherine Milhenge, who said that Arthur was told to face the door and not move during the six-hour appointment. She described to the court that his appearance was skeletal and his legs were shaking like he couldn't hold himself up. Emma spent most of that appointment swearing and shouting at Arthur, and when he got home, he got a beating with a belt from Thomas. Again, he was made to stand in front of the wall, with Thomas yelling at him that if he didn't stand up straight, he'd rip his head off and use it as a football. On the morning of his death, June 16th, CCTV shows Arthur struggling to move his duvet after being forced to sleep on the living room floor for a fifth day in a row. He was so weak and so fragile that you can see him grimacing in pain as he tries to pick up his duvet and pillow from the floor barely making it across the room. And you can hear him crying, saying, no one loves me, no one loves me, four times as he struggles to walk with a noticeable limp. It takes him more than two minutes to walk the two metres to the door leading out of the room. That morning, they all head back to the hairdresser's house to finish off the appointment, again with Arthur being continually yelled at by both Emma and Thomas this time. Catherine's partner, so the hairdresser, her partner secretly gave Arthur a drink of water while Emma and Thomas were distracted, and he said that Arthur looked malnourished and just a broken little boy. He could barely sip or hold the water and looked terrified that either his dad or Emma would notice. At 1pm, they got home and Thomas took Emma's kids to the supermarket, leaving Arthur with Emma and in what would be the last time that he would see Arthur alive. Emma gave Arthur a lethal amount of salty water to drink, and then bombarded Thomas with messages complaining about Arthur, 
She even took a photo of him crying in the hallway at 2.15pm. And at 2.29pm, she carried out her final attack, brutally shaking his head back and forth and slamming it off either of the walls, floor or both. She then messaged Thomas to say that Arthur wouldn't get up from the floor and he replied by saying that that kid was going to get ended when he got back. The CCTV footage then showed her moving Arthur and trying to prop him up on a sofa. Thomas arrived home and they both tried to give him a drink and some cowpole. And only at that point, when obviously it was doing nothing, which was 12 minutes later, Emma called 999. She told paramedics that Arthur had fallen and banged his head. And then while he was on the floor, he'd banged his head another five times. Paramedics arrived and they found Arthur unconscious with a neighbour performing CPR. He had bruising to his head and his body was visibly underweight and his gums were bleeding. He was rushed to hospital, but despite the best efforts of doctors, he died at 1am the following morning. The autopsy report showed that he had around 130 bruises, with injuries that were ones you'd expect to find from a car crash victim, along with extreme salt poisoning. A kidney consultant testified that he had six and a half tablespoons of salt in his system. At the hospital, Emma and Thomas were obviously questioned, but again, obviously, because it was a bunch of bull, their version of events differed. Regardless of that, though, the extent of Arthur's injuries screamed murder, and they were both arrested. Police trawled through hours of CCTV from inside the home, along with the hundreds of videos, audio files and photos found on their mobile phones, and the thousands of messages that they'd sent each other, basically the evidence burying the two of them. But if you think that they pleaded guilty and owned what they'd done, then you must be new here. Emma blamed someone else, obviously. Thomas? No. No, 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 no. She didn't blame Thomas initially, anyway. She blamed Arthur. She said that his injuries were all self-inflicted, saying in court that however he died, he did it to himself. She said that she was the victim and Arthur was the aggressor, treating them both so badly and causing them stress. And I think we just need to take a second to remind ourselves that this is a six-year-old child that she is talking about here. I can only say that these kinds of people must be the highest level of stupid. CCTV cameras, which they installed, and the over 200 text messages, numerous audio clips and photos that they'd sent each other, literally could not be interpreted in any other way than what actually happened. I mean, it's the stuff that Netflix true crime series are made of. A literal house of horrors. What all that evidence did do was make her then shift her blame to Thomas. She was stupid, but obviously not that stupid, to stick to the same ridiculous defence that Arthur had done it all to himself. She did, however, halfway through her trial, change her plea to the child cruelty charge to guilty. Friends of Emma described her as a black widow, where she would draw people in and put them under a spell until they found themselves trapped in her poisonous web. And Thomas's defence was just that, that Emma had made him that way. That before she'd come along, he believed in a strong family unit and was close to his parents and brother, as well as doting on Arthur. 
but through her manipulation and control, he changed. Emma's ex described her as unhinged and said that she'd flung herself out of a bedroom window which broke her leg purely to stop him from going out with a friend. Then another of her exes said that she'd jumped off the top floor of a multi-storey car park trying to kill herself when he'd broken up with her. The court heard that as soon as Thomas and Arthur moved in, she began her campaign of abuse because as far as she was concerned, Arthur stood in the way of her getting all of Thomas's love and affection. And as much as Thomas says that it was Emma that made him that way, bottom line, he still abused Arthur. So many texts were sent by him to Emma saying things like, finish him off. In fact, the day before Arthur died, Thomas had sent a text, supposedly joking, saying that he'd pay someone to dig the boy's grave and for Emma to just end him. Both Emma and Thomas said nothing was meant by those messages and it was just their way of venting. It wasn't meant to be taken literally. The court watched footage of Arthur standing in the hallway facing the wall while Emma's kids ate McDonald's in the living room. It was just another glimpse for the jury to see exactly the kind of mental torture that they were also putting him through. Thomas admitted that Arthur was hit every day, with one or both of them either headbutting him or slamming him up against the wall. He also admitted that he would use pressure points on Arthur's neck to discipline him, which he learnt to do after seeing videos about police brutality in the USA. He said he would use those pressure points for about 10 to 15 seconds to, quote, help discipline him. Now, during the trial, Emma actually tried to commit suicide. She was evaluated by psychiatrists, but was found fit to stand trial. However, she did refuse to attend her sentencing hearing. Other inmates, after finding out what she had done to Arthur, began giving her the exact same treatment back. Her food was laced with salt and she was regularly beaten. But the only tear that she shed the entire trial was nothing to do with Arthur. Not any time that she watched the footage of him being beaten, etc. No, the only time she cried was when Thomas ignored her in the courtroom. She was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 29 years behind bars. Thomas was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to 21 years. Both of them appealed and I can't help but smile because Thomas's appeal backfired and his sentence was actually increased to 24 years. Emma's, however, stayed the same. Tragically, Arthur couldn't even be laid to rest in peace. After months of blocking her, Thomas finally agreed to release Arthur's body to Olivia, although still being in jail, her mum is acting on her behalf. But in a final knife to the back to Thomas's family, who did try to save Arthur, Olivia blocked them from attending Arthur's funeral, making it instead a secret private memorial. Not only that, but Arthur's adult cousin set up a charity called Arthur's Angels, an organisation aimed to be a voice for all the children of the future, which would also launch a number of campaigns, including one to equip social workers with body cameras like the ones used by police. They'd already raised extensive funds, but last month, Olivia and her mum ordered for it to be shut down as they've got their own plans to forge a path of change once Olivia is released from prison. And honestly, I'm just too numbed with sadness by this whole case to even just comment on that. 
If all that wasn't enough, a shrine to Arthur not far from the property that he lived in was vandalised. Bushes have been planted next to a bench engraved with words for Arthur, but in March of this year the bushes were removed and smashed. All I want from now on is nothing but good to come from Arthur's name and that he can finally just be remembered for a gorgeous little boy with a gorgeous smile. This case has been really, really difficult to research and there is a lot of CCTV video footage and audio clips and case photos and they are all going to be available in our Cup of Coffee and Crime Facebook discussion group. The link is in today's case description. But I do need to say that viewer discretion is advised. Thanks for listening and until next week, stay safe. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.